0: a few of your Bibles, please turn to the book of Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, please open up one of the Bibles in the seat pockets uh, in front of you and underneath the chair. We have a Bible there for you. Love to have you walk along with us. It is the new international version and we still, uh, we do teach out of the new international version. Um, Yeah, you know, I don't think I put together all the things that I was going to, that was going to happen this morning. Uh, about baby dedications and Family First Sunday. But, um, yeah, there's a message that I believe God put on my heart a number of weeks ago to share today after we finished up our series last week in First John that I think is really, really relevant. I know it has spoke to my heart, and it's been a challenge for me, and I believe it can be a challenge for you too if you allow it to not just enter your mind but actually let it change your heart. And that's really what the Word of God is supposed to do. The Word of God is supposed to begin with the Word either in what we see or what we hear. But ultimately, the word of God only has transforming power when we allow it to change our heart. When we don't let the word of God change our heart, it's no different than learning everything that we possibly could know in a school system or maybe a hobby or an opportunity that we have to, to do something that we're interested in. Uh, it doesn't change our heart. It's, it's just knowledge. And the Bible says knowledge puffs up. We don't want knowledge. We want wisdom. And my heart is that this morning as we read this word, that the word of God will touch you and encourage you. And it'll have an opportunity to change your heart this morning. So Luke chapter 14 we're looking at today. Um, And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 26. Uh, Here's what it says. Luke 14 verse 26. Jesus says, "...if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple." What an ironic passage to share on Family First Sunday. And a baby dedication, in the middle of the baby dedication, I'm like, Lord, what is going on with this? Here's what's going on here, and this is why I think this is so important for us to understand. This passage first is, and you can look at it from the perspective of salvation, that Jesus is saying, for you to become a a follower of Christ, to become a believer... You have to die to yourself, meaning that you know that you're not able to actually get to God, that you can't get to God in your own strength and your own volition. It's not possible. And dying to yourself is required for us to become saved. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, right? That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That is a Dying of ourself to say we're not the saviors of the world, only Christ is, and we have to give our lives to him and do that. That is in part what he's talking about. But what he's saying here, if you noticed at the end, he says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And if you were with us the last number of weeks when we went through our First John series, we separated the difference between belief and discipleship. And belief is acknowledging who Christ is. A disciple is actually becoming a student of Jesus, and I think we would understand and we would agree that great teachers don't just help us learn for a moment, but great teachers teachers can help us for over the long haul. They can be weeks, months, years. Maybe you have teachers in your life today. Does anyone have a teacher that you look back at over the years, whether it was college or high school or elementary school, to say, they made such an impact on me today, I still remember that. Anyone have anyone like that that they remember? A lot of hands. Disciples or students... Walk the journey with teachers. And what Jesus is saying here is if you want to become an ongoing student, not just having an event of trusting in Christ, and that's where Christianity, I think, has been really perverted over the years, that we feel like becoming a Christian is just saying a prayer. It's not just a prayer. It's about making a decision to follow Jesus. And for those that really want to follow Christ and become a student of the great teacher, this is what's required. He uses this this language, hating your father and mother, Wife and children, brothers and sisters, just even your own life. These are really offensive words. Not just for today, but when Jesus spoke them, they were even more offensive. Because now it still feels disrespectful, right? I mean, I know that there's a, there's a growing disrespect, it seems, for the family unit, it seems, in our culture today. Where there's more and more of a disrespect of kids disrespecting parents. And, and the, the homes are not necessarily the way that they should be. And there's been a growing swell of that. Um, But then in Jesus' time, honoring parents was huge. It was considered the highest obligation in that culture to honor your family. It was the family that brought the greatest joy. Jesus used the prodigal son story. Some of you heard that prodigal son story of the two brothers that, that were uh, in the family. And the one brother, the younger brother, said to his dad, give me my inheritance now. And he went and did whatever he wanted to. it. By him asking for his inheritance at that time was his way of telling his dad, I wish you were dead so I can have all of your stuff. And he used that illustration in this context because that would be unheard of in that culture and it would be so highly offensive. So what is Jesus talking about here? That he would say, if you want to be my disciple, you need to hate your family. Certainly he's not talking about abandoning our family. No, not at all. We know that the Bible shows us over and over again that he loves the family. You know, God created the family. Poor Adam was all by himself in the garden. That's sad. And then he saw Eve and everything changed. You know, I mean, all the, the, the jokes I've heard with, you know, people say years ago, I mean, like this guy all by himself sees this lady all of a sudden. And what did he say? Right. Whoa, man. Right. You've heard that before. <laughs> I will call you woman for you came out of whatever. He was like, whoa, man. Right. That's what people say. He created the family. And what was God's command to them? Be fruitful in what? Multiply. What was he saying? Go make a family. I created you for family. And then you look at the history of scripture and you see and the law shows the importance of the family. The family has a responsibility to care for itself and each other. God speaks of guidelines of how the family is supposed to function, the healthy ways, and then when there's dysfunction, how you deal with that. Because God wanted the family to be unified. He talked about how it's important to honor each other. And as we have children, that is a blessing. You know, the Bible says it's a blessing to have children. Uses an illustration in the scriptures of arrows and a quiver and talks about the blessing that there comes from that. To have many, many children. Children were a blessing in scripture. Just the story of the baby dedication earlier with Hannah and and, uh, Samuel and how she wanted a child so much. Why? Because a child was considered a blessing. And to be barren without children in that time especially was considered a curse. God loved the family. He said that when the nation would, bless, would, would walk in obedience to him, that he would bless them, not for a generation or two, but for thousands of generations. The promise in the, God, in, the, in the book of Genesis to Abraham, the blessing that he was giving to Abraham, who became the father of the entire nation of Israel, was a blessing of family, a blessing of children. And that's what he said. He said, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars. So what is Jesus talking about when he's saying, if you really want to be my student... You need to hate everybody around you. What is he saying with that? Well, the version in Matthew 10 gives us a little more clarity of what it means, beginning in verse 37. I want to show you this. Anyone, Jesus says, who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's going on here? He's talking about not hating, but he's talking about loving less than. And what he's saying is, if you love all of these other things more than you love me, you can't be my follower. Because God didn't create us so that we have our lives and then God gets added on. He created us so that the center of our being is to be known by God, to be loved by God, and to love God in return. That's how he created you and I. So what he's saying here is to truly be a follower of me. And it's not an event. It's a process. It's a journey to truly be my follower each and every day. You have to choose to value me more than everything else around you. Does that feel a little bit better than hating the people that you live with? Because that's not what he means. He means value. That we value God. God more than everything else. It's an issue of what matters most to you. What matters most to me. Do I value relationship with God more than relationship with anybody else. Do I value my identity in Christ more than I value my identity in my job or my bank account or my hobbies or my skills? Is God the center of who I am or is God just a piece of who I am? And that's what he's saying. If you want to really grow in discipleship and become a student of me, you have to have your heart surrendered to me with your hands open. And this is what he says. Lose your life if you want to find it. Because those that hold on to their lives lose it. Our hands have to be open so that God can change us. However he chooses to, to allow us to experience change and transformation. He has to allow us. We have to allow him to do whatever he wants us to do. What I'm trying to say in all this is becoming more like Jesus means choosing to value him above everything else. We need to become like Jesus because he's called us to become like him. When we put our faith in Christ. It's not just to save us when we die. So that here on this side of eternity, he can say, today you look like Paul, but tomorrow I want you to look like me, more like me tomorrow than you do today. And next week and next year and next whatever, I want you to look more and more like my son than you look like him today. And that's the mark of Christianity and genuine, authentic change. People wonder sometimes, how do I know that I'm really a follower of Christ? How do I know? And, and just the question itself doesn't come from God, because that's a lie and a question that the enemy puts in our hearts. He's a doubter right from the beginning when he told Eve, he asked Eve, did God really say, how do you know that you're really follower of Christ? The Bible says in Romans very clearly that our spirit gives testimony with his spirit that we belong to him. Number one, we know in our hearts. Number two, our fruit should be looking more and more like Jesus. If you've given your heart to Christ and you've allowed him to start to change you, and if I've allowed him to start to change me, I need to look more like Jesus down the road than I look like him today. And if I look like the same old, everything's never changed a year from now, five years from now, and nothing looks different in my priorities, and my fruit is exactly the same, I really question the authenticity of someone's decision to follow Christ. Because he didn't save us. He didn't die on the cross so that we could just be with him for eternity. And eternal life, if you remember, from last week, doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life begins today. As we trust in him. He transforms us and makes us more like him. Becoming more like Jesus means choosing to value him above everything else. So today we're talking about choosing. We're talking about a choice. Do you know what is a choice each and every day for you to walk in relationship with God? It doesn't mean your salvation's in question, but I mean to be a better student and a disciple of Christ. It is a choice, just like Adam and Eve chose to disobey God or Joshua told Israel to choose who they would serve. Just like God challenges us each day to love deeply, to forgive consistently, to obey him. We have to choose to value him the most, not just choosing, but we have to choose wisely because true wisdom is recognizing that God is who he is. We don't just make good choices. We need to make godly choices So I want to talk about choosing wisely for a little bit this morning, and I want to share three things about choosing wisely. But before I do that, I want to just show this. Choosing wisely means this. It means we have to ask ourselves the question, what is God's will or desire in this situation? What is a wise choice versus a good choice? A wise choice is saying, what would God want in this situation? Because there are lots of things that we could choose that may be good, but they may not be God's best. And for us to become a follower of Christ and to continue to be discipled by Jesus, our choices need to be in line with what he wants for that situation and what he wants in that path that we're walking on. And they're not necessarily the same thing. And I'll explain that in a little bit. Three things about choosing wisely I want to mention briefly this morning. The first is this. It's a daily choice. It's a daily choice. What do I mean by it's a daily choice? I mean Jesus gives example and Paul gives example over and over again that each day we need to make a choice to say who's going to be in control of my life today. See, I can believe with all of my heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that I can be in relationship with him. And the Bible says I am saved because of that faith that I put in Christ. But I can also get up tomorrow and I can say today I want to live for me. Today I want my priorities to be my priorities. And tomorrow I want my priorities to be my priorities. and The next day I want my priorities to be my priorities. That's what we can do if we're not careful. It's a daily choice. Matthew six eleven in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. Right? What is he saying? Every day we have to choose to ask ourselves, Who's going to be the one to meet our needs? Am I meeting my needs? Or are we asking God to meet our needs? Every day. When you go to work every day, do we recognize that as God's provision for providing for our families and for our situation? Or is that our provision for ourselves? Give us this day our daily bread. Or in Colossians 3, we see that Paul says we're supposed to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I don't know about you, but I get dressed differently every day. Some of you, I know, probably have like four or five shirts and just wear them over and over again, right? I know you're talking, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not going to say any names, Chuck, but you know what I'm talking about, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You knew I was going there, right? No, every one of us choose every day a wardrobe, right? What socks are we going to wear? What pants? If we're going to wear a dress or not? Some of you. Shorts, T-shirts, nice clothes, not so nice clothes, scrubbies based on what you're doing. You have to choose every day to clothe yourself. And the kind of clothing that you put on every day says a lot about what you're getting ready to do. And what Paul is saying in that situation about a daily choice is clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Make a choice every day to let the fruit of what God wants to give through you, the, the fruit of the Spirit, to be the center of who you are. We can't just say a prayer and then just walk through our days and expect things to happen. We say a prayer and God changes us in faith. We believe in Christ. And now he says, okay, Now I'm ready to do some work. And that's it. We've invited him into our kitchen, if you will, when we trust in Christ. And then every day we get up and he says, okay, what am I allowed to do in this kitchen? And if all we do is say, sit down there in the table and just watch me work, we're not actually changing ourselves. We're not actually letting ourselves be changed. I mean, we need God to do it on a daily basis. It is a daily choice about choosing wisely. Will you choose him Every day is the challenge that I have for you this morning. Are you willing each day to learn to choose wisely by every day making a conscious choice to walk in obedience to him? That's number one. The second thing about choosing wisely I'd like you to hear today briefly is this. It means saying yes to God may equal saying no to good. You might say, what do you mean by that? And it's this. Our choice is not always good versus bad. Many times we've said, okay, if God is calling us to do something, that's going to be good, and the alternative must be evil, right? No. Actually, that's not true. Many times there are two things that can be very good, and God wants us to say, what am I calling you to do in this circumstance or this situation? That's the most important thing. Like answering a call to ministry, for example. Surrendering your will to God. Think of the story in 1 Kings 19 where there's a story of Elisha. And for those of you that don't know the story of Elisha, he was a prophet. And he was the prophet that was called to ministry after Elijah was the prophet. And the story is such that Elijah comes up to him and he's, and he's plowing this field and he's got a, a yoke of oxen, two oxen, and there are 12 yoke of oxen in this field. And he's got one of the 12. And Elijah calls him to follow him. And look at what his response is in verse 21. So Elijah, Elisha left him and went back. He went back to his family for a moment to make everything work that needed to happen. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he sent out to follow Elijah and became his servant. You know what he was doing in that situation? This is powerful. This is a guy who was part of a family that had the ability to have 24 oxen, 12 yoke of oxen plowing fields. That's a lot of oxen, guys. A lot. This dude was wealthy. And he came from a wealthy home with a wealthy family. And when Elijah called him to follow him, he said, let me go back and talk to my parents or my, my family first about it. Why? Not because he was asking for permission, but he was saying, okay, this is what I need to do. And he loved his family respectfully to go back to his family. And what was he saying in this situation? We don't know exactly what he said to his parents or his dad, but what we know that the outcome was that he took the work, the career that God gave him as a farmer, and he burned it. And he said, this part of my life is no longer, and it's dead. And he took something that was good. Providing for your family, as a farmer, in a wealthy situation, he took something that was good, right? We wouldn't say that was sinful. And he said, I'm going to let this die so that I can pursue what God is calling me to do. You see, sometimes we need to say no to good things so that we can say yes to God. The same situation happens in the New Testament with James and John. They were brothers, and we see when Jesus called them in the ministry in Matthew 4, they were on the boat working on nets with their dad. And when Jesus looked to them and he said, come and follow me, he says he called them in verse 22. And what does it say? Immediately they left their boat, and look at that, and their father and followed him. What were they doing? They weren't saying, I'm through with you, dad. I don't want a relationship with my father anymore. What were they saying? I'm giving up this career and this life that I know, which is not bad, but I'm choosing to let it die so that I can pursue the things of God. Sometimes we need to say no to good things so that we can say yes to God things. Let's just practically put this in front of us where we are today. And they're not here this week, so I can talk about them without them being embarrassed. Many of you know Kevin and Diane Oberholzer, and you know they're four children. Jess and Rachel and Isaac and Zach. And, you know, last week they were all over different parts of the world with their kids in every area. Well, they've been in in India for the last week and a half or the last week at this point, visiting their oldest daughter, Jess, who felt compelled to give her heart for the work of missions and to reach people in India. And can I tell you, just walking through that process with them and listening to the decisions that they've had to make over the years, there, there are two things that come to mind as I look at that. One, if you've never been to the area of India that Jess is living in, and I've never been there, I've only seen pictures and heard about it and talking with her, um, I would be willing to bet that most of us wouldn't be willing to live in those kind of conditions. But something happened in the decision-making process for her to choose wisely. And you know what wisdom was in this situation? Wisdom was recognizing that she had to put her hands open to say, God, for the sake of your kingdom, if you want to transfer me and relocate me from Lansdale, Pennsylvania to Varanasi, India, I will live there for the sake of your, of your purpose. And I'll live there. And it was, has not been an easy journey for the last few years. I will live there. And I told them before they left, and I said, you know what's beautiful about that? Jesus shines on her. And God shines on her because her feet are beautiful, the Bible says in Romans. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? Right? How beautiful are the feet because they're willing to abandon the things of the world to go and to do the things for the kingdom of God. And in their example, and in her world, this is not a formula, but for her, she recognized God was saying, you need to walk away from this world because I have something for you on the other side of the world that I need you to do. And she was willing to keep her hands open and do it. You know what was beautiful about this too? Moms, dads, their hands were also open because how many times do we as parents want to keep our kids close to us? I just And we have these visions of grandeur that we want to have the big house, we want to have the property where everybody can live together on the same property and, and it's a wonderful thing and my grandbabies are going to be next to me and my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and we have this whole plan of what it needs to look like because we know best. Can I tell you, that's not a bad desire. It can be good, but it doesn't mean it's God. In fact, it could almost be a little arrogant sometimes for us to think this is the way it needs to look. You know, I've had family members over the years, I think back, close family members that I remember growing up that were a number of years older than me that had family members that went to them and said, if you choose to do this thing or this thing that you think that God's calling to do, I'm going to cut off all financial support for you. I've known people that that's happened to in my family and outside my family. And, you know, when they're too young to make that decision sometimes themselves and they feel the fear of what it would be like to be alone, sometimes they don't take that step. Can I tell you what a beautiful thing it is for parents to recognize that God loves your kids more than you do? He does, guys. He loves my kids more than I do. So many times I think about it. I'm like, my goodness. I'm like, I thought about it. I talked to my daughter the other day who's in Springfield. And I said, you know, it would, it was, it was nice to talk to you, but text messaging isn't the same thing as like having a hug or like looking at you face to face. And I go, God, why did you call her to the middle of the country where she could have gone closer for less money? And, and God says, you know, I called her there. Yes, we both know our family knows that you called her there because a good decision isn't necessarily sinful unless God's calling you to walk in a different place or a different path. Always make sure, and it's so, so important to make sure that you're not saying yes to good and no to the things of God. It looks like many different things for many people. It might be a vision that God's put in your heart that's kingdom-based, that doesn't fit the formula of what everyone tells you it should look like. The thing that came to my mind this week was I think about guys within our church. I think about Jim Thomas, and some of you know Jim Thomas. I don't think he's here this morning. Uh, But wow, Jim Thomas, if you know that guy, you know after working in the military for years and retiring from the military and then working in a telecommunications company for years and then retiring from a telecommunications company, there's no reason why at that point in Jim's life that he would not be able to retire And yet God brought him by a building years ago and said, when you retire, that's where I want you to go to work. And he spent the last 10 years of his life working in another business to bring the gospel to the people that needed to hear it. He's the youngest 70 plus dude. No, I got to know. Like if you know him, you know that he'll run circles around you if you're 50. I'm not kidding. Like the guy has got serious energy. I don't know where he gets it from. But I'm humbled when I think about that to go, the model that we hear many times, listen, does God call everyone to do that? No, of course not. He called him to, and he was listening attentively to say, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, your work is not done. I want you to go work here to be a light to these people. And I remember many times over the years going to have lunch with him, and we would sit at lunch, and we'd be sitting there, and he'd be having his Jello, and he'd be in there eating his Jello, and he'd look, and he's like, see that guy over there? I'd go, yeah, and he goes, I've been sharing Christ with that guy. And I'd say, okay. And he'd say, see that girl over there? Yeah. And he'd tell me story after story after story of people that he met. People that have come to this church over the years that have given their life to Christ because of an obedience that he had. It's not a bad thing to be retired. Actually, retirement actually isn't biblical. We don't see a definition of retirement. We just see a changing of role after your job ends. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things, but God doesn't say, now that you've worked 50 or 60 years of your life, sit back, eat chips, watch TV, and enjoy the rest of the years until I call you home. That's not what he's called any of us to do. He just says, your role's going to change. And for Jim, it was going back into the workforce. Are we willing to say yes to God if it means saying no to good things. Can I turn the table another way so you don't hear a misunderstanding of what I'm trying to say? Because I think some people can interpret this as, you know, we're just saying we need to do more for God and we need to work harder. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Maybe what God's calling you to do is to serve your family instead of serving everybody else. Is it good for you to serve other people? It is. And you know what? You get a lot of accolades from doing that because people see on the outside. But you know, can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor in a church or a volunteer in a church, if you spend way too much time excessively serving everybody else, somebody pays the price for that. And you know who it's going to be? It's going to be your wife. It's going to be your husband. It's going to be your kids. And in those situations, maybe the good thing is serving other people. And maybe the God thing is spending more time focusing on serving your family. I don't know what the answer is. See, it's different for every person. We can't grab one of these things and say, oh, that's what you're asking me to do. It is not a formula. It is not a formula. Someone told me quite a while ago, Paul, the church will always have another pastor, but your kids will only have one dad. I think about that over the years and I go, look about the people that we've poured into and we've served and, and we've, we've tried to walk alongside. And some of the people are a part of our church over the years. Some of them have grown into areas of ministry. Some of them have blossomed. And some of, us have, some of them have spit in our face and walked away. And you know what? That's on God. You be faithful with what God calls you to do and you recognize that that's going to happen in both situations. But what's not going to change is the fact that when you go home every day, Your kids are going to look to you as dad or mom. They're going to look to you as a family and go, you know what? We can't replace this. So are we giving the right amount of time to grow and to nurture our family? And that's a struggle. And you don't have to be in ministry to experience that, guys. You could be in a corporate situation and have that same challenge. I talked to someone a couple weeks ago who was in a corporate situation. The guy just works and works and works. I mean, he just never stops working. Since he was a kid, he was working. And I talked to his wife about it. I'm like, what gives? And she's been waiting and waiting for him to like stop doing this. And you know what his response was? He's like, I do this because I love you and I'm supporting you. And she was like, I don't need that kind of support. I need your presence. I need you to be home for the family sometimes. I need you to recognize it would be better. This is going to blow men's minds who are driven. I get it. I would rather you not take the next promotion and make less money so that I can have time with you in our family. Anyone ever hear someone say that? That like for guys, that's like, like, what are you talking about? I would rather you stay where you are. The greatest example I saw about this in history that I have watched and I've seen not directly because I don't know him was James Dobson, who was the founder of focus on the family. Some of you know, James Dobson, maybe not personally, but you know the guy that founded focus on the family. But when his dad, chose to walk away from an area of ministry to go plant or to pastor a small little church in the South when his kids were younger. He did it because he knew by doing so, he'd be able to give more time intentionally to his family. And then when they got older and they got out of the house, he changed and did something different. And Dr. Dobson never forgot that. And it influenced the whole roots behind how Focus on the Family became what it is today. But he made a hard choice. Is it a bad thing to work hard for your family? No, it's a great thing to work hard for your family. Is it the God thing to do it in the degree that you're doing it? I don't know. It's between you and God. Saying yes to God may also mean saying no to good. And the last thing I want to mention to you this morning briefly is that the result is new life through Christ. Pastor Matt, if you guys can come as we get ready to close this morning. It's simply this. Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. What is he saying here? Living new lives. When we choose wisely, when you position God as the core of who you are, he becomes the center of who you are. There's new life that comes from that. God has a way. And I don't know how he does it, but he's God, so I don't need to know. But God has a way of taking our messes and our our family dysfunction and the struggles and the relationship tensions. And he has a way of reordering all of that when we make him the center of who we're supposed to be. When he becomes that center point, as he says here, you were died and were buried with Christ with baptism." The old self goes because of what Jesus did on the cross. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, we now may also live new lives. You can experience new life through the resurrecting power of being in relationship with Christ today. And it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes the decisions he asks us to make don't always make sense in our minds. But can I tell you, he knows and he challenges us to choose wisely because he has life for each one of us as we live. how do you do this? How do you do this? Maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're saying, okay, I understand. I have to daily choose sometimes the things I think of maybe are of me and they're not of God and there is new life. Can I tell you, some of the hardest decisions that I have made in my life are not the decisions that I would make in my own flesh, but they're the things that God's calling me to do. And when I choose to do them, they can be a hard decision to make, but in the process of letting God use me through that, there is life that comes from that, where he identifies this is part of who I made you. Think about all the years that I was in corporate and how I kept talking to the people that were in corporate about changing my direction because I was in finance and data operations and And I remember feeling like I was like in a cage, in a bubble. And I remember talking to people saying, I want to be in training and teaching. I want to speak to people about influence and and leadership. and, And I'd like to be in that area. And they'd always say the same thing to me. Here are the credentials you need to have that. You don't have that. So this is where you're going to have to stay. And I remember saying, Lord, there's no way that I can possibly do this where I am. And then God puts it on my heart. And we walk through the process to make the shift. And I walk away from that in 2007. Not an easy decision very difficult decision came with a lot of heartbreak a lot of pain some of you know the history with that and yet I find myself looking back at it today and I go what would my resume look like if I ever sat before those people today 10 years later well do you have any experience walking alongside people and sharing relationally no not in the last 10 years of course never wanted to be a public speaker no God, have you done some things in me that have been able to encourage other people? I believe so. To what level? That's between. That's God up to God. But when I see some of the things God's done in me over the last ten years, I go, Lord, that only came because I decided to choose wisely and to say no to something good, so that I could say yes to God. And He brings us on a journey, but there is new life. There's new life in Christ. I don't know where you are this morning as we get ready to close and wrap up our time this morning, but I want to first ask you probably the most important question is who's in control of your life this morning? Who's in control of your life? Are you the center of your life or is Jesus the center of your life? You might say, I gave my heart to Christ. I'm a Christian. I made a decision to follow Christ. It's great. That's where it has to begin. It all begins at the foot of the cross, friends. You can't do it without beginning at the foot of the cross. But what about after the cross? After you're at the foot and he wants to take you on a journey, who's driving your life? Are you or is Jesus? When you choose wisely, he will take you on a journey that you never recognized or you never would recognize if you tried it on your own. Would you stand with us this morning? As we get ready to close with this song this morning, I just want to say a prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning and encourage our hearts as we trust in him. And God, I just come before you today. God, I just pray that your spirit would fill our hearts today. That we would walk in an attitude of submission and humility to hear your voice to walk according to your word and recognize that there is new life for all who choose wisely. May our wisdom come from your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus to life. May we experience wisdom in your name.